0: Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I'm your host, Logar the Barbarian. And I'm real excited about today's guest because there are like three or four current editions that have been out for the last couple decades of the basic uh, classic fantasy role playing game that I think are like the cream of the crop. And if there's one role playing game I have suggested to people more than any, it is the role-playing game that this wonderful fellow here has created. Basic Fantasy Role-Playing Game. Welcome, Chris Gonnerman. How are you?
1: Doing fine. Nice to be
0: here. It's good to have you. I'm excited about it. I'm a fan of your game. I'm curious. I, I, some of our listeners may be familiar with it, and some may not. It's essentially a, a, what I would call a retro clone. Would you say that's correct?
1: Oh, now you're opening <laughs> worms. Here. Okay. okay, these are big. These are big worms, and they're purple. Okay. All right. <laughs> when Basic Fantasy Role Playing Game was created in 2006, there were at the time there was no OSR. There was no Old School Renaissance. It did not exist yet. At that time, there were only a couple of games that were legitimately old school that were currently available for sale, and I wanted to play the game I started with back in 1982. And uh, so I started, you know, piecing together house rules. And I quickly realized that I was actually building an entire game. And then I realized that the open game license might make it legal for me to publish it. That's awesome. That was a a revolutionary thought at the time. Um, Everyone uh, told me that I was going to get slapped down, that I was going to receive a cease and desist letter. I am still waiting for that letter. (laughs) I've never received it. But it was like, we were all like the penguins on the ice floe, waiting for somebody to jump in. And I was one of three people who jumped in in 2006, well, four people, three games. Swords and Wizardry from Matt Finch came out actually, I think in 2007, but Matt Finch and uh, Stuart Marshall were both associated with Osric, which was in development at the same time. And then of course, Dan Proctor brought out his uh, excellent Labyrinth, Labyrinth Lord game later in that year. So... We were all the first. There was nothing like that. But the the tricky part about the word retro clone is is that's what everybody called our games. All of our games, Osric, Swords and Risenry, Labyrinth Lord, and Basic Fantasy were all retro clone games. Go to Wikipedia and look it up now. They are, and I'm not. What? Basic Fantasy was ejected from the retro clone category based on the fact that it doesn't clone a specific game to a close Mm -hmm. enough level of detail. I varied too much from the game that was, that I remembered from back in the day. The specific things I hadn't liked then, I fixed. And apparently that constitutes something of a crime. When there were only four of us, we were all retro clones. But now that there are, what, hundreds? I have no idea how many OSR games are out there. The term retro clone is res- restricted to those games that closely follow their original source material, which is why I wrote Iron Falcon
0: iron falcon <laughs> yeah.
1: and seriously i i said this and i've got a video about this i i uh, i told people that i wrote iron falcon out of spite yeah and that makes it sound like i was a lot angrier than i was but i was motivated enough that i wrote the, that whole game in one month i can't say that about basic fantasy it took longer Wow. It only took you a month to write Iron Falcon. Well, the thing about it is, is that I was mirroring the mechanics of an existing game. So I just had to understand those mechanics. The hard part was understanding them because the game that Iron Falcon clones is so old and so roughly assembled from it back in the day that I needed expert assistance and I, I got some. Uh, but anyway, that's off the topic of basic fantasy. But the Iron Falcon—that's—is
0: that an OD&D clone? Is what it is? Am I correct? I can't, sure. I can't answer that.
1: I can't answer that. Oh, okay. Okay, you know the you know there's an OGL rule about naming another game in a description of your own. Oh, I did not I not realize that. No, it's the question, and and there's been some argument lately about just exactly how much restriction this rule applies to somebody, whether I can actually speak about it or not, but I can't write it down. But I'm talking to you on a podcast. This is being recorded. So yeah, I don't feel safe uh, in answering the question directly. They're bringing it into a court of law. Well, and I'm not getting into that. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I haven't received that cease and desist letter, and I don't want to. But the rule in the OGL also says that you can't do that unless you have a separate agreement, which is why I have an agreement with Stuart Marshall, Matt Finch, and Dan Proctor over basic fantasy versus their games. And with Simon Bull and Cameron DeBeers, Regarding delving deeper, which is their clone game that's a a year earlier than Iron Falcon. Let's just put it that way. We can talk about how our games differ by name because we've allowed each other the privilege of doing this. I trust all those guys; they'll be fair with me. I'm fair with them. I know what their games are good at, and what my game is good at, and the same thing applies to them. So, anyway, why did I write it? Because I wanted it. Basic fantasy is an open source game. That means that the people who participate in our community who create materials for it are in the rather personal terms of the open source community, um, scratching their own itch. We're not making stuff for other people. We're making stuff for ourselves. The fact that we then share it with other people is a whole separate thing. I have been known to describe basic fantasy as a scam to get other people to write adventures for me <laughs> well, because, then... it, because it works. Um, lots of adventures are out there for basic fantasy and I'm, I am a minority Uh, plurality. I'm, I'm, I'm probably one of two writers who produced the most material, but in terms of actually writing all of it or even half of it, no, most of it was written by other people. Yeah. I've got quite a few basic fantasy adventures on my shelf uh, on top of some of the, some
0: of the stuff that I've printed up in my large basic fantasy binder as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's the other thing about being an open source community. You're absolutely welcome to do that. We don't expect you to buy our books. We don't expect you to buy them. The books are out there for sale for people who want physical copies, who want the feel of a book, who want the look of a book and so forth, that they want the actual physical book. I have physical copies of all of our adventures. I don't use any of them. When I run an adventure from one of our books, I print a fresh copy of it off my printer. And that way I can mark up all those handy little check boxes.
0: Oh, that's nice. One of the things I like about the adventures that y'all have for basic fantasy is that they do have the little boxes there so that while you're running through it they got the little stats right there and you can just as as you hit the baddies and the goblins you can just mark it off
1: (laughs) yep that was uh that was my plan when i came up with that idea to use check boxes for it i i never saw an old school game do that before basic fantasy did but check boxes are common in uh, in non-osr games like uh, mech warrior for example just to mark hit points to different body locations and so forth. So it just seemed obvious to me, check boxes would work well for this. And it saves me a tremendous amount of time. So
0: yeah, I think I have written in a book.
1: (laughs) But that's why that's what the deal is. I've got printed copies of all those books, but I don't use them.
0: Well, let's talk about the printed copies. Cause like, if I go to buy a printed copies of books to play uh, like, Oh, Hasbro's game, like cover price. I'm looking at 150 bucks
1: to start the game.
0: And it's, the rule set I think is more
1: complex to me. It's definitely more it's definitely a complex game. I can't again name name to name. I can't name it and talk about it. But <laughs> I can tell you why our game is cheap. We're not making money on it. You buy a copy of the basic Nancy core rules off of Amazon. I think it's still like 5 bucks in the US. Yeah, it's that's how much I paid. I make less than 50 cents off of that. I used to make nothing. But for a couple of different reasons, um, I discussed it with community, the community and they decided it was acceptable for me to make a small amount. Off of uh, adventure books, I make 10 or 15 cents a copy. I am not making a living off of this. I am not making even a significant profit off of it. But it pays the cost of maintaining the website and and uh, and does some promotional stuff pays for not exactly advertising but for giveaways and so forth that we do very infrequently things like that
0: so those are two things i've always like talked up about the game when people are wanting to get in it's like look for no cost you can go to the basic fantasy website and you can get the game and check it out you don't even have to like sink all this money into it or whatever just to try to get a pdf and pay 20 bucks for it. you can just right. go there download and look at the game and that's like one of my number one things i'm constantly telling folks like yeah you should go check out basic fantasy rpg and then if you like what you're seeing you want a physical copy like i think they, they are around five bucks some of the adventures are like three bucks yeah, to order. If, you buy, uh,
1: if you buy something like uh, Saga of the Giants, J.D. Neal's uh, massive uh, adventure that involves all the Giants, not just some of them. It's, it's, it's impressive. I've only run a little bit of it, and it's it is actually bigger than the core rules. Uh, And because it doesn't benefit from volume sales on Amazon, the price runs a little higher. I'm not sure what it's actually selling for, but it is a little bit higher.
0: I think the most I've ever paid, I don't don't think I've even paid $7 for a book. I'd like to get one of the hardbacks. I don't have a hardback of the main book. It would be nice, but.
1: The hardbacks on Lulu have gotten more expensive, unfortunately. That was uh, Lulu's decision. I think you can still get a good deal on Amazon or DriveThruRPG for those.
0: I want to talk a little bit about some of the rules that you use. Like you said, it's not so it can't be officially considered a retro clone because there are differences. And I appreciate the differences because they kind of take some of the newer elements from. The third edition era, like a roll high ascending armor class instead of the descending, where everybody complains. we hear something about descending armor class. A lot of folks who are less familiar with it go, "Oh, Thaco, it's uh, not a
1: not an issue in this game." <laughs> we actually never did Thacko. I'm old, I'm old enough that it was invented after I started running games. So I use descending AC. I, I've said this many times before. If if I had thought of ascending AC in 1982, I'd have used it then. I am. I am slow at doing math in my head. Thacko kills me because it, because it involves subtraction. And I have difficulty running a game and doing the subtraction in my head at the same time. I'm a computer programmer, but when it comes to math, I'm stupid. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. That's And the other thing, I'm, I'm really slow looking things up on tables. So using a, a system that required tables or one that required mathematics beyond just a simple addition wasn't a good thing for me never was and it was always kind of a struggle when uh when i read about ascending ac i was on board that day oh i was too i was
0: i was i i was when third edition came out i remember it very well i was there like at the store the day they're putting it on the shelf getting the first player's handbook and i was thrilled about it at first because i loved the idea of ascending armor class
1: but one of the things that 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 and one of the main thing that I did not like about any game post 2000, basically anything that's been in print since 2000 is the fact that the, the game has be, the games have become so, and I say games plural because there's at least three or four different games going on here. Yeah. have become so comprehensive and so detailed that uh, as one of my, one of my players in my online game, who's a game master for his own game is commenting. He said, uh, he's, he's got new players that are only two sessions in. And they cannot get their minds wrapped around the fact that they can do things that aren't written on their character sheets.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with it's that.
1: a number for everything.
0: Yeah, I have, I have noticed that with the 2003 edition forward, there is more of a tendency in those games, especially people coming into it, for them to make their decisions by looking down at the sheet and reading their sheet and trying to see, well, what can I do instead of just kind of coming up with ideas of
1: things to do. (laughs) If you want to know my number one reason for not liking modern games, I can sum it up in two words, sense motive. Mm. Okay. Every time somebody comments about making a sense motive role, I just cringe because that's completely removed all role-playing aspects from the game. The idea that a player has an ability, player character has an ability to, to know an answer. Um, it bugs me. It bugs me endlessly. Every social role in modern games versus the reaction roles used in in classic games, which still required role-playing to execute them properly. You had to play out the scenario. A good pitch and a bad role, you can still lose that. A good pitch and a charisma bonus and a bad role, you may still squeak it out. You, you've gotta, you've got to convince the game master or the other players that what you're, what you're saying, what you're trying to do to influence an NPC is reasonable to be effective. Then you have to say, well, okay, <laughs> but even though you have a good idea, your character's got like a negative two charisma because you used it as a dump stat. So even though you have a good idea, your character does such a bad job of saying it that uh that the, the the npc or monster is not going to go for it you know but if you got a good enough role, you might still pull it off even with the penalty so things like that that's how the game in my mind is supposed to work i'm an old school guy
0: see i'm a big fan like when we were playing i don't remember for things like that like to influence an npc i don't remember making roles before that before the 2000s like I remember playing it out
1: prior to 2000 the game rules had the game master making reaction rolls mm-hmm. player characters never roll those dice because they should not see them yes player characters should never know if they got a good or bad reaction roll except by the results I've had some fun with
0: reaction rolls especially when like if you're like it seems like there's like a series like there's a structure of play where it's like every time you just run into something it's an enemy you fight it you kill it and I've played games like that and it gets mundane. But when you run into something and you're using reaction rolls and a monster could have a positive reaction or a negative reaction or somewhere on a spectrum, it makes the interactions more interesting for me.
1: The last session of my online game that I ran, I don't think there was an attack roll made. They spent three hours engaged in social interaction with NPCs and it, it was bizarre and, and, and hilarious and fun. Uh, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed it endlessly. Um, they've spent some sessions doing investigation, dungeon delve, where they spent more time trying to figure out what, what was going on or what had gone on than they did trying to loot stuff. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> and, that's, and that's interesting. Oh, yeah. That's not something that I'm good at. It's something that my players kind of have to bring to the table because I'm not great at creating. Um, it, Stuart Marshall's talked about the magic of an empty room. What you can do, because an empty room doesn't have a monster, it doesn't have a treasure, it doesn't have a trap, and it doesn't have a special. That's what makes a room empty. But an empty room has furniture potentially. An empty room has stuff. An empty room might have clues. Um, it's still empty because it doesn't have any of those four things that are considered things in the game. And, uh, and I'm not great at creating empty rooms. He's a master. Um, he was a major contributor to the Castle D'Angelo adventure in uh, Our Strongholds of Sorcery. Um, I have run that. You cannot run that adventure and have your players see every room. They won't. Now, which which one was that? It's uh, Castle D'Angelo in the Strongholds of Sorcery book. Okay. and it is it's a big, big one. It is crazy and it never plays the same way twice. And the players never see all the rooms. They're they're just not going to. If they succeed at the adventure, they will not see all the rooms. And if they fail at the adventure, (laughs) they probably still won't see all the rooms. There's a dollhouse that's enchanted in there. I don't think I've ever seen anybody get into. Oh, that's fine. I had to take a note because I want I, to read through this. <laughs> the Strongholds of Sorcery is a fairly thick adventure book, several adventures, and Castle D'Angelo is like half of it. Really? It's a big one. And Stuart did a lot of the rooms for that, and his rooms are just amazing. And, uh, and it, it was it really is it's wonderful. The times I've got gotten to collaborate with him on a project has been impressive.
0: Now this is is this Stuart Marshall you're talking about or the Osric guy? Yeah, that's why that's who I thought. Yeah, he's oh, also
1: wow. contributed adventures to us. He's contributed adventure materials, and he's got one complete adventure that's never been completed, and I can't remember the name of it right now. I need to get I need to see if if he's completely lost interest in it. See if we can finish it. Actually, well, <laughs> he's got a couple of them, but. He he I've known him since our days on Dragon's Foot, which is where I learned the skills for formatting and laying out adventures. Oh, cool. And And books in general. I learned I learned those on there because somebody needed to do it. And I was a Dragonsfoot member for years. I'm still a moderator on their site. Um, I actually asked them to, to remove me a while back and they declined. <laughs> <laughs> on 06, I don't go there very often. So. so,
0: 06, what were you doing the layout and formatting? Because I know a lot of the stuff- uh,
1: uh, adventure modules being published by Dragonsfoot as PDFs only. They couldn't print them mm-hmm. because they were strictly for ADD or DD or some other named game and they didn't have the rights to print them. But fan made content. Wizards turns a blind eye to it. What uh, kind of software were you doing that? And I'm curious when you were making that in those days, was that I do the layout in LibreOffice. Oh, okay. I'm very familiar. And I was working, of course, back back that far. It was OpenOffice because LibreOffice didn't exist yet. Yeah, you're you working I, yeah. I you leave, That makes sense. <laughs> no. but I was working with with OpenOffice 1.1 and um, working around its occasional explosions because it blew up on a regular basis. Working around his personality defects. But the sad thing about it was with all of his personality defects, it could still work, it still worked better than Word. Yeah, I've been I've actually been using
0: Word for the first time forever the last year. So I, I used OpenOffice forever, but I've been using some Microsoft stuff here lately.
1: The project uses only free software wherever possible. We we because we want to make sure that everyone can participate regardless of their financial level. If they can, if if they have a computer and they have an internet connection, that's all we expect them to cough up for.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's one thing I have noticed is that all the documents, like ODTs and stuff like that, the open office Mm -hmm. format documents, which is, I think that's cool. I think the whole concept just the ideas that I stumbled onto when I came onto your website, I, you have no idea how much I just love that because the idea of like open gaming to begin with, the idea that like the community drives the game, I'm a huge fan of that. And the fact that y'all were using, are using all the open source software
1: and stuff like that. Also, I have a very similar- um, it, it lowers the barrier to entry yeah. for everybody. And I have occasionally I have people come along and they want to know why we don't use Word because you've got to cough up for that. people go well you can get a free version yeah but the free version is like only half its brain is there yeah you want to get the real job done you need the real tools and we make use of that so
0: yeah open office is great and i and i i know that a lot of people are jumping on to like it's not free but when it comes to a lot of the the newer uh illustration and stuff like that software like i know there's a large group of people that are fleeing adobe right now for the more affordable affinity as
1: well, which I'm thrilled with. GIMP's always been there. <laughs> well, now you're talking about artwork. Yeah. Because we, we don't handle art the way we do everything else. Art that's required for using an adventure like maps or diagrams needs to be open game content. Everything else remains the property of the original artist. And I receive, I personally receive a license. It's one of the ways that it's basically the way that I prevent people from printing copies of basic fantasy and selling them is by the fact that they don't have the rights to the art. Um, I have the right to the art, get granted to me by the artist who retains ownership. And that allows me to say, you know, here's here it is. We give the PDFs away. We give the ODTs away with the art in them, but you're not allowed to sell them. It would, I don't want to say brand dilution because that makes it sound like I'm trying to make money on this. It's more a question of not having variant versions around that are carrying the name not having versions of the game that aren't the game that we wrote, that claim to be the game that we wrote, that have a bunch of stuff added to them. It's not uncommon to have somebody come along and say, hey, I took the core rules and added this, this, and this to them. Would you like to have a copy to publish? No. And you can't publish it either unless you take all the art out. And you can't use the name because it violates the product identity license. Because we don't want confusion. That's what I'm saying. Not dilution, but confusion. We don't want people getting copies of the game that aren't the game that we wrote. And I say we, you read the core rules. Yes, my name's up there at the top, but there's a long list of contributors. A lot of people contributed to the game from the very beginning on to now, um, whether providing material or doing editing um, and so forth. And all of those people are are part and party of it. The signature page. Yes, I have a hard time (laughs) getting people to cough their signatures up, but I've got most of the early artists on that page. Jeff, you open up to the
0: front of the basic fantasy role-playing game book there is a, a page oh so i guess it's the artist who signatures that, it, that it's well signatures. it's and artists and authors artists you, and can
1: tell, you can you can kind of tell the artist's signatures because they all have something artistic about them and i always put my name at the bottom so you said that you didn't want people to be
0: confused by what that one thing i've noticed that when i bring up basic fantasy role-playing game a lot of people confuse it with chaosium's
1: Basic role
0: play. <laughs> like, that's, no. a,
1: that's an unfortunate side effect of how I named the game. And I thought about that at the time, but you got to remember, I was the first. I did this when I published Basic Fantasy. When I put Basic Fantasy out to download, Osric was being developed privately. People didn't know about Osric when I put Basic Fantasy out, even though Basic Fantasy was far from complete at that point. Which one of us is first depends entirely on, on how you define first. I was the first in the public eye. They were the first in print because they got done quicker than I did. <laughs> whether they started first or I started first. I don't actually know. But uh, so the question of first is always complicated. But the point of it is, is, is that at the time that I did it, there was nobody else to look at. No one else had done that. And while I would have loved to have had an, an, a catchy name with an and sign in the middle of it, <laughs> I couldn't think of what I liked. Yeah. And I wanted the name to carry an idea of the origins of the game with it even though i couldn't name it yeah so basic yeah i mean it, it
0: fits perfect i i'm a big fan of it and i've i'm trying to uh i've and i've ran it a few times i've i've appreciate now i want to talk about in the core book one thing i like that a lot of people don't like about it is that it is the four core classes in there correct that's correct now that doesn't mean the game is limited because if you go to the basic fantasy role play site, there's all kinds of classes and races that are like, there's like treant races.
1: There's like, if you want to wreck, if you (laughs) want to wreck your home game, if you want to have your home game, go down the tubes. All you need to do is add a class (laughs) Add isn't well balanced and you'll have a player come along maybe one maybe a whole bunch of them and they'll say that looks cool i want to play that and they'll make a character and they'll invest themselves in it and four or five or six adventures in maybe one or two maybe even one session in, you realize this was a mistake that this class is a problem but that player is invested in that character Taking that away from them is going to make them mad. It's going to ruin your game. But leaving them, leaving them there, is going to ruin your game the other way. So we're really careful about what classes we allow, and the core rules will never have more than the four basic ones in it. We know how they balance.
0: With newer, I've I've ran some newer editions a few times. I play mostly. Oh, honestly, like I, about four or five years ago, I was playing uh, mostly AD and D, AD and D second edition kind of a hybrid mm-hmm. of the two is what we ran um i did dabble in other games and branch out i did run like a pathfinder game at some point in time but i kept on going back to that ad and d stuff mm-hmm. one thing about especially I, i've definitely run into games with these classes where there's something there in a book that someone wants to play and it, it does exactly that it throws stuff off and it really messes up the game yeah.
1: i've had that and
0: i've had that a lot
1: well and then the other thing is with the, with modern games that have Five dozen classes and 100, 200 skills, and so forth. One of my, one of my players in my, own, all my, all, all or almost all my players in my online game are actually game masters. So we occasionally have talks about game mastering, and one of them made the comment about the illusion of choice in modern games, where you have all these choices, but everyone's read the rules and everyone knows which combinations are superior, and so your every adventurer group is a collection of those superior combinations. And you don't have any of the other options. People don't take the other options because they're mechanically inferior and they don't want to take the inferior character. Very few people will do do that. And the ones who do are serious role players. But you don't see any branching out. You don't see any variation. You don't see any you know uh, interesting characters because the game makes certain things more mechanically advantageous and people just play those there's one kind of magic user or two that everybody wants to play there's one kind of fighter there's one kind of divine you know caster that they'll want to play there's one version of the thief or scout that they want to play a rogue or whatever they want to call it with a certain collection of abilities and everyone knows if you don't take those abilities you're going to be puny and one of the advantages of playing a game that's very mechanically simple is the fact that you can be that you can say you're a barbarian, you're a fighter, but you you were raised in a barbarian area. And maybe as the game master, I say, okay, so you were raised in a barbarian area. You know about horses and you know about you know trees and so forth and whatever territory you live in or grasslands, whatever territory you lived in. I will grant people the benefit of the doubt, the benefit of, the, of their knowledge on whatever things their characters ought to know. It's a lot easier that way. And mechanically simpler
0: oh yeah i've tempted to run some of the newer editions in the mechanic there's a lot of roles feats and things like that and always being thrown for a loop it isn't easy for me i definitely prefer a game where making a character and rolling up a character where like creating the character itself is questioning like who is this person almost like you would approach a novel or something describe that character don't give me a bunch of numbers on paper like, who is that person you're playing?
1: Honestly, I prefer characters that are as simple that way as possible. I would much prefer to play a character who developed in the game versus oh, yeah. one who developed for the game. Let me tell you, I, I use one of my own characters as an example. When somebody says, how, you know, what kind of a backstory do I need for my character? <laughs> I character? I had a character named Mosiah, son of Joseph, son of Jorah of the hill people. That's it. Hit this back. That's perfect. <laughs> you know, you know, he's a hillman. You know, he's a he's a hick from the sticks. But on the other hand, you know, he's also probably kind of a barbarian. And when people ask for a description, he's wearing a chain. He's wearing an old chainmail hauberk, and he's packing a packing a double bitted broad axe.
0: Like one of the things I say, your first level character should be, as the phrase goes,
1: Luke, straight from the moisture farm. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I want to see I want to see players start out with characters that don't have I'll make exceptions though um in the online game we've got a one player playing a character named Nicodemus Wayburn and he has he has a sketchy but voluminous backstory uh it's not long or complicated it's just things that his character his player the player says in character that have become canon for the character and they're actually beginning to drive the campaign because his story is more interesting than anything I had
0: (laughs) I like that in the game I like, I like it when the characters take charge and, and, and get invested. And I like player autonomy and I like to just kind of roll with it and see where things go as a GM or a DM or whatever they're called. Am I allowed to say DM or is that intellectual property? You You can say whatever you want to, I don't care.
1: That's one of the things. That uh, that is that is tricky is that it, because so many of our I don't want to say top members but most involved members of the community our contributors so were all bound by the OGL at some point or another. So it'd almost be nice to have an evangelist who wasn't a contributor so he could actually <laughs> say the words that I'm not supposed to say. Well, I, I, you I'll can start say it if you want to, you're a commentator you're not in my book. So. Excellent.
0: Yeah. Well, We, we, we have, when we were first starting our little podcast, I, we did a basic fantasy RPG role-playing game review at some point in time. And I know we've talked it up on our little podcast quite a few times, because I'm a big fan of the game. I'm hoping that this next campaign I'm running is going to be basic fantasy is kind I'm kind of giving my, my players the choice to choose the system in between like, swords and wizardry basic fantasy and castles and crusades <laughs> i'm kind of um, pushing
1: that's like just- swords swords and wizardry is not a bad choice oh, I, 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 mean, I, I can call that one by name it's not a bad choice for a game uh mechanically comparatively it's it's simpler in in a lot of ways oh, yeah, it's um, the simplest one i think I've read. <laughs> there are, well of course it depends on which flavor because yeah. they have more than one flavor i find that a little confusing but a lot of people like it, and that's cool.
0: Yeah, I've, I I prefer the the one that I'm used to is the or the most I've got the different the white box and a few others. I've got like almost every printing of it, <laughs> um, and I've got the complete. And I really am a big fan of the complete. I liked the hardback book. They got that nice box set now, but the hardback book was nice. But like like I said, those are kind of the ones I'm throwing out there. I know which one I'm leaning towards. I think I'm going to let my players decide and let them. And I, I, think pointing out when I'm pointing out to them, hey, look, if you want a physical book here, it's five bucks. <laughs> That's kind of probably.
1: <laughs> I when I go to a and, and we haven't done public appearances since you know what came along. Yeah. But when I do a public appearance, I won't mention any words you might need to bleep for the algorithm. <laughs> but uh, when we when I do a public appearance, uh, I take books and I give them to the players. Um, that's part of what that money, that small amount of money that I earn off the books goes into is to, is to buy books to give away. And I sign every one of them and I give them, I give them out and, and uh, they could take them home with them. And the stunned looks <laughs> on their faces. Because they're thinking fifty dollar books like the modern ones, yeah. and I'm handing them a five dollar book, and they don't get that I didn't put that much money. That's into. That, that,
0: yeah, that's five dollars for the entire everything you would need. That's the player's handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, Monsters Manual.
1: <laughs> and usually, and usually, I buy them in bulk on in, in bulk on, on a coupon deal on Lulu and get them cheaper. But you got to get the right coupon deal to do that. Otherwise, Lulu is always higher.
0: Yeah, as
1: DMs,
0: you want to get your game invested. Instead of spending 50 bucks on a new DM's guide, player's handbook, or whatever, something else, you got five people playing. Five times five is 25. It's cheaper just to buy everybody a book here.
1: Under for for an average size modern group for under $70, you could buy everybody a book and you could buy every one of our adventure books and have money left over to buy dice.
0: Hallelujah. That's amazing.
1: Things have definitely not been that affordable in gaming lately. <laughs> but the thing about it is, and the reason for this is I was never, this was never going to be a money-making deal. If I tried to make a profit off this, I wouldn't sell as many copies. And anyway, I don't want to sell copies. It's not about the money. People always say, I bought the books to support your project. You don't need to do that. You don't support my project by buying my books. If you want to buy the books, that's you. If you want to have a book, great. Have a book. We got them out there. But that's not what it's about. It's not about making a profit. It's about getting the game in as many hands as possible. If you want to to support the game, join us on the forum and submit an adventure. Or even just submit one room in somebody else's adventure. Just come in and do one thing and you have supported the project. Supporting the project is done with love and attention, not with dollars. And
0: I'll say one of the things that I so there's a beginner's essentials. Is that is that what I printed up for the beginners?
1: That, that's beginner's essentials yeah yeah
0: so there's like a beginner's essentials thing you can just print up it's only a few pages you, we took mm-hmm. the uh we took and we took portions of that and what i did for little to nothing is on my printer i just printed out everything needed to roll a character up mm-hmm. we bought little things at i don't know what they're called three like the three ring not three ring but the three prong yeah uh folders it, it's got like a nice little clear cover so you can see through it and i just put together a bunch of these little handouts in a folder of the stuff you need for a character. And you don't even need to buy a whole book. It's right there for your game and your party to use. It's really easy. Great way to put together a little packet for your players. And they come in and get them invested, give them something to hold and take home and read and learn the rules.
1: And it's a, uh, it's, that's why one of the two reasons beginners essentials exists is to give people for that. The other reason is because translating the whole rule book is complicated. It's a big job, it takes a dedicated team. And while the Italian group of translators became so well integrated that they went from translating basic fantasy to translating other games, most languages I'm not lucky enough to be able to put together a team like that. But translating Beginner's Essentials isn't that complicated, it doesn't take that long. Um, Somebody who's fluent in the language and understands the game can put together a a, a translation of of, of, of Beginner's Essentials relatively quickly. And we can get it out there, which is why we have a Ukrainian version. <laughs> we have it, we have it in I don't even remember what languages we have: Spanish and Italian, and the languages that some of the languages we have, uh, official rule book translations either available or are coming. Italian's the only one that's actually in print right now. But we're doing translations of the, of the core rules as we can. But beginners essentials gets translated lots quicker. So if you have a mixed language group. Uh, multi multinational uh, group that you're putting together. My online game group includes a guy in the Netherlands and one in Argentina. Their English is excellent, probably better than mine. But uh, but uh, I mean, you know, that's that's not their native language, and uh, and being able to get materials in their native language is a, is a nice thing well we're about on time we've probably gone a little over yeah. man the cups and things down <laughs> we'll
0: see here. i warned you <laughs> no i I, I, warned I, you. I watched that clock though i said i want i want this i need this i need to continue this and we might have a long episode
1: this weekend <laughs> so i was i was happy to do that it. has
0: no doubt oh thank you so much for coming on could you tell our listeners where to find basic fantasy role playing online where they can find you online and follow
1: www.basicfantasy.org that's it
0: if you've enjoyed what you've heard please leave us a positive review share with your friends tell others about us you can find us on facebook just search wobblies and wizards we're pretty active on the page lights usually post in there pretty regularly i've been doing some i'm on twitter at logar we started a patreon it takes a little bit of time and money out of our our lives to make sure we have a daily RPG podcast. So any support you can give is greatly appreciated. This patreon.com backslash wobblies and wizards. And as always keep those dice rolling.